We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast for Wednesday, December 4th. I'm Jeff Erickson. As always, our podcast is sponsored by Yahoo Fantasy Sports. Thank you, Yahoo. Please patronize them, use play their games, use their products. Uh, my co-host today, or slash guest, is none other than a familiar, very familiar voice to most of you, uh, the Athletics' Derek Van Riper, hosted many, many, many podcasts here for Rotowire. Now he's doing more of the same and, and plus more for the Athletic. Derek, how's it going, man? It's going really well, Jeff. Great to talk to you again. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. So let's catch everybody up real quick. Tell everybody what you are doing for The Athletic. Yeah, so it's some of the same things I used to do at Rotowire. Still a lot of podcast hosting and uh, fantasy baseball shows in the offseason, a little bit of fantasy football stuff throughout the year as well. Um, I've actually been writing about the Brewers a little bit this offseason as well. And they're mostly just losing players to this point. So yeah. people are, are panicking and that's been kind of a, a fun story so far, just from an engagement standpoint, uh, obviously they're going to make moves, but yeah, it, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. I wrote an ads and drops column throughout fantasy baseball season, uh, different fantasy baseball and fantasy football pods, uh, kind of a, a jack of all trades, mostly focused on fantasy though. 
All right. Very good. Uh, and yeah, the, the Brewers kind of, we'll talk a little slight baseball, but uh, I, I'm a little nervous if I'm a Brewers fan right now. I, I think you have good reason to be just given how extreme the changes have been. I, I think if the moose signing had happened a few weeks from now, as opposed to within a week or so of Grandal leaving, maybe it wouldn't feel as extreme. Like this is probably something that the team planned for. Uh, I think you have to have a lot of faith in David Stearns only because they've had a ton of success since he took over and, and the organization as a whole, just going back over the past decade, spanning back to Doug Melvin, they've done very well on the trade front. So it would not surprise me at all. If there's more to come. Obviously they made the big trade to get Luis Urias from the Padres, yep. flip Trent Christian away uh, as part of that. I, I don't think they're done on the trade front. And I think they're also going to find maybe some value from some of the non-tendered uh, players that just became free agents earlier this week. Yeah. Yeah. I guess though, when you're a playoff team, you don't want to hear of finding value. You want to, okay, this is going to make us better. Um, and that, that's the thing. And it's just, when you see Grandal go elsewhere, when you see, you know, you get beat out on other targets, that's what's frustrating, but still plenty of time. Uh, we'll see what, you know, and we haven't had, even had the winter meetings yet. I just like that. There's actual news early on. Um, Let's let's move on uh, because it is a football podcast and there's lots to talk about on the football side of things. Uh, let's start off news and notes. Starting off Kansas City, I want to talk about their running back situation. Darwin Thompson ran well towards the end of the game last week, and Andy Reid talked about how it was important to see him on the first team offensive line, getting carries, doing you know, get working with the first team offense. And then they signed Spencer Ware, and then there's talk about maybe Damian Williams being able to play this week, though he did not practice today. Yeah, it's it's getting pretty ugly. And I, I think the main takeaway for me, this was something we could kind of see a few weeks ago, is that they have soured quite a bit on LaShawn McCoy. Yep. A, a big part of that's been the fumbling issues he's had in terms of efficiency, almost at five yards a carry. He's been catching passes, but it just looks like they're trying to find a different solution, at least someone else to run alongside him, giving McCoy 15 or 20 touches just looks like a total long shot at this point. It would take more injuries to some of the new depth for that to materialize. And Darwin Thompson is the kind of guy that might actually still be out there in waivers and he might be an impact player in the fantasy playoffs. So if you were unable to find fab pieces of need, this might be your chance to go all in on a player that could still help you in this little bit of time that we have left in the season. Yeah. Uh, the problem is they face the Pats this week in new England, no less then home against Denver. Okay. You can run against them a little bit, but it's not great. And then at Chicago, another not so great matchup there. So your fan, you know, even if he say he goes crazy or not, doesn't say he gets the job and he does well enough to keep it, that he's the starter, clear starter. I mean, these aren't even great matchups and I, and I don't think there's going to be that clarity anyhow. Yeah, that's entirely true. I think the thing that I would keep a close eye on too with that Bears matchup, just thinking about anybody going up against the Bears in the next couple of weeks, is that Keem Hicks uh, started yeah. practicing again over the weekend. I think if he comes back, that run defense can be good. If Hicks doesn't come back, then I'm a little bit less worried about running backs against the Bears, even though they continue to be good uh, at slowing down opposing teams' passing games. That's right. I think that Hicks injury was underplayed. Uh, we hear a lot about, uh, you know, Mac, obviously, but you know, Hicks was a big part of that run defense. And I think they, that was, they noticed that immediately after the injury. 
Yeah, the the switch really flipped, right? They I think the injury happened in week five against Oakland. I remember listening to part of the game against the Saints in week seven on the radio. Latavius Murray was running all over him. I think Austin Eckler got him pretty good in week eight. Yep. And uh, maybe they've you know recovered a little bit over the last couple of weeks, but they were a run defense that people rightfully feared to begin the season. And if they don't get Hicks back, then I think you can continue to roll your, your typical RB2 types against them and, and not worry too much about it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, meanwhile, Cincinnati, A.J. Green didn't practice today, then subsequently was ruled out for this week. So much for my Jimmy Chitwood theory, uh, Derek, that now, now that Dalton was renamed the starter, he'd come back. Didn't happen that way. Yeah, I know. We were talking about that last week on one of our shows, and uh, I I still thought it was a long shot, if only because A.J. Green, if he was going to come back, would have come back by now, right? Mm-hmm. Like this, this is more about – I almost wonder if this is more about the Bengals doing him a favor – not putting him on the field and risking injuries that could impact him beyond this season. I mean, even if he's gone at the end of the year and he's just done a lot for that franchise, they haven't had a ton of success with him, but he's the kind of guy that if you're having the dumpster fire year that the Bengals are having, is it worth damaging that long-term relationship to put him out there for meaningless games? You know, maybe not. So um, hopefully we see AJ green back and, and productive somewhere in 2020, but I would be surprised if he came back in week 15 or week 16. Yeah, uh, I, I, I would too. I, I, you know, and again, it's, you know, I think he, there's no chance of him coming back if Ryan Finley's the starter, because why would you do that? I mean, it just, I don't know, but John Ross coming back is also makes things a little bit interesting. He comes back this week, comes back from uh, the IR. It was, I was kind of surprised he came back so quickly, but he'll actually be on the field. Do you think any thoughts about adding and using him this week? I think because John Ross is still going to have Tyler Boyd and Auden Tate to contend with for targets that probably keeps him on the outside looking in for this week. And especially next week, the Bengals uh, draw the Patriots. So even if AJ Green were to come back in week 15, you know, how, how much do you want to throw him out there in these circumstances against that defense? The same definitely holds true for John Ross. I think the matchup you're excited about for the Bengals is actually championship week. If you make it to championship week in yep. week 16, we have a Bengals Dolphins matchup where those two teams could just put up you know, 28 plus points each. That could be a fun shootout that actually decides some fantasy championships. So that's kind of the matchup I'm eyeing up. If I've got a spot on my bench, I need a, a possible upside receiver for the stretch run. I think John Ross in championship week is something I'd consider in like a 14 team league. I just will point out as the self-hating Bengals fan that I am that the last three weeks, the Bengals defense hasn't been bad, Derek. I mean, we're talking 17 points against the Raiders, 16 against the Steelers, and then six against the Jets. And they were beating up Sam Darnold. Yeah, that was really surprising to me. I I thought the Jets were going to go in there and put up some some big numbers. I I think, you know, the Raiders are one of those teams. They're all over the road. So that was a pretty nice effort by the Bengals too. And mm-hmm. Pittsburgh is a mess with Mason Rudolph and it is. receivers they've been missing. But yeah, like the fact that the Bengals are getting a bit better on that side of the ball is, is something that could easily be lost on, on everybody looking at the, the season long rankings. I think sometimes we do lose sight of in season improvements, whether that's from players coming back from injury or schemes, maybe finally coming together right. late in the year, because we're so used to locking in those easier matchups from the first six, first eight weeks of the season. Right. They're not cards. They don't have fixed value. And this is a point we always you know, pound. But young players get better. Young players get the job. Younger, faster guys, all of a sudden, you know, they learn a little bit and they're, you can start using them. 
Uh, you know, the Bengals cut Preston Brown. He was getting destroyed in, pa- in pass coverage, got rid of that element, and all of a sudden they weren't quite as exploitable. Uh, and you're right, the competition's different. There's a, it's, it's multivariable, with, without a doubt. And uh, I think that's something we got to remember sometimes, too, when we, we look at these things. Like, sometimes, so, some patterns hold true. I mean, the Arizona Cardinals seemingly are always going to be bad covering tight ends. But, you know, it, you know, most times teams recognize their flaws and try to fix them. Yeah, no, I think I think you're exactly right. And then as you've you know, had this this down year, you've experienced a new coaching staff. I mean, do you yep. feel like the things you're seeing, despite the results, are overall encouraging for the future? Like, do you feel better about the Bengals looking ahead to 2020 than you did looking at 2019 before they made the coaching change? I think any excitement, any positive vibes have to be tempered by the fact that Mike Brown is the owner and GM. <laughs> owner and GM are, are, are just things that should not go together. I mean, really, like that, that doesn't work out. That right. Uh, can't, it can't work out. You know, Jerry Jones also sim- very similar in there. You know, a higher budget version of the same thing in a way. I think Jerry Jones might have some, you know, I think both guys have s- some football acumen, but I think they overrate it. And, in the case of Mike Brown, he's also he adds that with a layer of cheapness uh, that, you know, fewer scouts than anybody in football. You would think this extended run of non-playoff success would would encourage you to change your ways. But I just don't think he cares. Yeah, I, it doesn't seem like he does. And I think the other thing, just I had this this thought about Jerry Jones. Maybe it was on Thanksgiving. I was talking to someone in the family about it. But do you think the. Herschel Walker trade forever skewed Jerry Jones's judgment in terms of like his ability to analyze players. Like he got this once in a lifetime deal in a trade and yeah, they, they pretty much aced it as far as what they did with the draft picks and had a big run of success because of it. But did that one massive hit or series of hits just completely skew his own perception of himself or would he just been this way all along? You know, like if he didn't have, that success. I almost wonder if he's the kind of guy who doesn't want to be a laughing stock and would actually yield a little bit of power to someone. But because he had the success, I think he's forever convinced he can do it again. I think he wants to be the one credited with the success. I think he's like uh, Joe Pesci's character and my cousin Vinny. He wants to win a trial without the help of others. He doesn't want Jimmy Johnson to get the credit. That's why he, you know, he was so happy about the Barry Switzer title. Um, you know, it's like, I, I think that there's something to that. It's really, it's really funny though. Cause there, there has to be, there has to be an introverted GM. who's very analytical, very unique. Who could bring in a, a fresh perspective to that organization mm-hmm. who also just doesn't want the spotlight. It, it can't be hard to find that person. If you're willing to concede the decision-making and then just be the public face of the team. Cause at this point, that's what Jerry has become. Let me ask you this, though. If they had someone like that, would we know? Yeah, that's fair point. Like they, that person could have been there for the last 10 years, just, you know, hidden in a corner office and right. never seen the light of day, like or even in the basement, Milton style. <laughs> as long as he has a stapler, they're fine. Yeah, that's all you need. Yeah. Uh, a couple other notes uh, before we move on. Talk pentathlon. Uh, Marlon Mack, there's a chance he could face the Bucks. He's going to practice this week. I was talking about this on the XM show with list today, and we both have Mac and very important NFFC teams uh, heading into the playoffs this week. And 
First of all, I don't love the matchup against the Bucks. They've done a good job of selling out to stop the run, and you know, opposing running backs haven't done much against them. But also, I don't want a chance. I want okay, he's he practiced in full all week. He's full go, and I don't know if we're going to be able to get that. I mean, it's not a muscle injury; it's a hand. So, and you know, cat, pass catching isn't Max game anyhow. But I don't want it to be like, well, we're going to get see what happens, give him some run. He'll probably be limited, be on a snap count. I don't want that. Yeah, and I'm already a little worried because they ended up you know, benching Jonathan Williams, playing Jordan Wilkins more last week yeah. with, with Williams, Naheem Hines and Wilkins all healthy. That could be a really messy situation on top of the difficult matchup. So I'm I'm looking for reasons not to play Marlon Mack this week if I'm in a situation like you guys are, where a lot is riding on on your decisions and he's in yeah. that flex bundle. I don't think he's more than a flex play. And I think he's a risky flex play given these situation, given the situation. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And that's where I'd be considering him. And my options in this case would be like, I'm going to probably start I, Miles Sanders would be my second running back. Uh, normally it's Mac, but and, you know, obviously it hasn't been, but it's him or Bo Scarborough or a diminished Terry McLaurin or Chris Conley. You know, it's, it's a 14 team league. It's, not not much there. And free agency is closed too. That's the other thing about the NFFC is yep, too late. You can't you can't dip into the free agent pool anymore. Yeah, Terry McLaurin's a really tough call because yep. I mean he certainly got off such a good start. He has that rapport with Haskins from college, but it hasn't necessarily clicked in week in and week out yet. I mean, he hasn't scored since week six. Uh, yeah. Target volume has been a little bit less reliable, and that's been with a run of, of pretty nice matchups too. only four targets against the Jets in week 11. Did get the 12 against the Lions in week 12, but back down to four in that win over Carolina. I kind of like him against the Packers because I, I've, I've seen Kevin King just do horrible things <laughs> in coverage this season at times. And I'm sure they'll move McLaurin around enough to where he's not going to catch Jair Alexander all the time. So maybe that's, there's some some observation bias creeping in where I'm, I'm like rounding up on McLaurin. But I am a little concerned just based on the fact that he's had some some bottoming out of those targets the last few weeks. Uh, four targets is just not good enough to, to roll a guy out there, even if he's been really good on a per target basis throughout his rookie season. Absolutely. I agree with you on that. And, uh, you know, I, I drafted McLaurin. I was feeling pretty proud of myself. And then. You know, Haskins comes in and it's just a disaster all around. But uh, and, you know, in that Lions game, he, had, he was open twice in the end zone, and just got missed. And that was that, that was the thing that was frustrating. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, so I, I think I've kind of narrowed it down to Scarborough versus uh, Mac if Mac plays or maybe pie in the sky, Conley, but unlikely. Um, the other thing about that, too, though, is with Scarborough, the Lions just designated carry uh, on Johnson to return from IR, not eligible until week 15. So this week I'm safe. But against Minnesota on the road, I don't love it anyhow. Right. The game script can go wrong for Scarborough. He's one of those bigger backs. They don't really use to catch passes. Not at, at all. all. Yeah. And in Minnesota, you know, they're the kind of offense that can open up a pretty big lead against the defense as soft as Detroit. So. There are definitely some ways where that can that can go wrong. I, I think even with that risk, that seems like less of a concern than the number of issues facing Marlon Mack. Like Mack also has a tough matchup, but then he has other backs to contend with for those touches if he plays. That's right. That's right. And so that, that's where I'm leaning. It's Wednesday. I have time to, to parse this one out. Don't have any Cowboys or Bears, so I don't have to make that decision until Sunday. Um, 
it's nice not to have three Thursday games like last week. People got left holding the bag with Julio Jones. If they if the trip to fan had already set in and weren't able to make their lineup change for the Thursday night game. Uh, he was limited in practice today. They said that had they played on Sunday instead of Thanksgiving night, he might have been able to play last week. How confident are you in starting him this week? Yeah, that's that's kind of an interesting one, too, because, you know, what do they really have to play for? Like, why mm-hmm. why would they force it with Julio Jones if they don't have to? I, I think if you take them at their word, you feel OK about it. But do you trust any head coach ever when they tell you something like that? Um, I, I, I'd say if, if he's active, I definitely want to play him. It's not a case where if he's active, I'm worried about him leaving early or just not being used the normal way. I think it's pretty simple. If he's active, they're going to just play him the way they want to. Uh, so my confidence level is uh, near the middle of the scale, I guess, whatever our scale is, you know, one to 10, how confident are you in Julio Jones this week? Probably a five. I mean, I, I think it, it seems like he's trending in the right direction since he was already, uh, he's set for a limited practice on Wednesday. Like that, that to me is a pretty good sign. If he was doing absolutely nothing today, doing nothing on Thursday, that confidence level would probably be in the two or three range. Yeah, that's right. Um, and meanwhile, facing a Carolina team that is no longer got a riverboat man, uh, captain it's, you know, they, they fired riverboat Ron yesterday. I was surprised by that. I thought he'd make it through the rest of the season. At least I get it though. It's been nine years. And if you want to test out an interim guy, it's not a bad idea to give him a shot, but I, 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 what do you think about this move, Derek? Weird that they did it in season, given how long he'd been there, given that he had success and it went to a Super Bowl with them and that he was playing this season, most of the season with Kyle Allen, a quarterback. I mean, the, if a team struggles, the backup quarterback, that's as much on the GM as it is on the head coach. Uh, so if they're going to make other changes in the organization, then maybe this makes sense, but firing him going into week 14, it seemed a little bit unnecessary. I mean, I, I know I read an article about it where the, I forget if it was the GM or ownership, but they were citing this idea that they had to get ahead of the coaching search. It's like, really? Like, I don't, I don't think that's the case. I, I think they've got plenty of time to find their replacement for Ron Rivera. So it, it seemed like they rushed it. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. How do you think it affects things for the Panthers this week and for the rest of the season? I think Ron Rivera, even though football Twitter made fun of him a lot throughout his time in Carolina, and that seemed to dwindle a bit over time. I think his players like playing for him. That's just the vibe I get. Yeah. You know, kind of watching this team, right? They, I, this could be a fold up situation. I mean, I'm not worried about Christian McCaffrey, but I'm just worried about the Panthers kind of falling into beatdown mode. These next couple of weeks, Atlanta, Seattle, Indian week 16, like in a lot of ways, Indy may still have something to play for in week 16. And they're one of those teams that's, I think, very well coached. They've had a lot of things go wrong going all the way back to the Andrew Luck surprise retirement in the preseason. So I could see them dropping all three of these games coming up between now and week 16, especially with two of those three matchups being on the road. I agree with that. Um, And, you know, their defense kind of already was in quit mode. If you look at how teams have been running the ball against them, you know, the Redskins run for three touchdowns. They, you know, the Panthers far and away, are giving up more rushing touchdowns than anybody else in the league. It is, uh, you know, it, it's a very advantageous to the point where Devonta Freeman could be a guy that'd be an interesting target after having a really disappointing season so far. You know, maybe I can uh, build upon my second to last place standing in uh, the pentathlon DFS contest by using Freeman. 
Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about playing them in the uh, the auction portion this week as a flex. I think the, the matchup is good enough. I, I trust the touch volume to be there. Even if he's sharing with one of the other backs, it's still probably a, a 60-40 split in a favorable matchup. I mean, you have to think back too. like things really started to unravel on the Panthers on the last play of the game in Green Bay, like a very, very close play. Christian McCaffrey was inches, if that away yep. from a potential game tying touchdown of the Panthers would have had to go for two and, and get it to actually tie that game at Lambeau. But they haven't won uh, since they beat the Titans 30 to 20 back in early November. So they're, they're in a four game losing streak already. And I just wonder how that game may have swung the momentum even further down the the wrong direction. Like if they'd come back and, and won that game on the road in Green Bay, we're probably not having this conversation about Ron Rivera getting fired yet. I think you're right. I think you're right about that. Uh, and then they follow that up by getting just housed by Atlanta at home. And that was the one that was kind of like, uh, you know, and then last week, obviously the last straw against the Redskins, a team that they were a 10 point favorite to beat. So I get it. Uh, I can see how that happened. Uh, before we go on, uh, I want to share a quick note from armchair quarterback. Armchair quarterback is a real time game where you predict the next play during a live football broadcast. You know what the next play is going to be. Predict it and earn points. Climb the leaderboard and increase your chances to win tickets and other prizes. It's the perfect way to make watching games more exciting. We have a special league for all RotoWire subscribers, and we'll be posting a leaderboard online and be mentioning them here. We always play to the Monday Night Football matchup, so you can go ahead and set your lineup according to that. You can also form your own league with your fantasy friends. The full schedule and game information is available at armchairquarterback.com. Armchair Quarterback, make every game bigger. I'm Jeff Erickson. You're listening to the Roto-Wire Fantasy Football Podcast. My guest today is the Athletics' Derek Van Riper. Uh, DVR, you run Fantasy Pentathlon. This is year two of it. I didn't jump in last year. I was a fool not to jump in it earlier. I love the contest. Tell everybody what it's about, and we'll kind of break down some of this year's uh, races. Sure. So I put together this league, and it's made up of, of five different events, hence the, the Pentathlon name, and it's scored like a rotisserie baseball league where depending on where you finish in each event, you get a certain number of standings points. Uh, so it's a 12 team league, 12 people in every aspect of it. We have a best ball draft that we did first. We did a super flex auction with some moves to play out throughout the season. Uh, we do spread picks every single week on Yahoo. We play DFS every week through week 16. Uh, so there's, there's a lot to this. And then there's a survivor element as well, which everybody got bounced from, I think around week 10, um, and it's, it's one of those things where I just wanted something kind of different to play. Like yeah. I, I, I think when, when you play in as many fantasy football leagues as, as we do, you know, working in the industry, you get kind of frustrated by luck and different things that may crater your teams along the way. Um, and obviously you can have sustained success playing and you see that in the high stakes arena, especially you see a lot of the same people doing really well, but I wanted something that kind of covered everything that we talk about and write about and think about on a week to week basis. And this really kind of scratched the edge. It was kind of like, okay, yeah. Oh, the people I enjoy being in leagues with who's actually the best at all of these things. And I think having a five part contest like this, it reduces a lot of the luck elements that can swing an individual league uh, and the outcomes, you know, you get to the playoffs, a, a seven and six team gets in, they get hot, they win the league. You know, there, there are ways to work around that, but that's still a frustrating situation no matter how many leagues you play in. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I will say this. Uh, we got to get rid of these three-headed and two-headed monsters in your league here. It's supposed to, We're supposed to show off <laughs> our 
range, right? No, I'm just kidding. It's okay. We can let these partnerships go on. But it is Sammy Reed and Davis Maddock are are, are tied for first right now with Doria. Uh, and you know, some some people are good at one thing and better at and not as good as others. It's kind of interesting to see how that that works. Uh, but uh, I, I love the concept. And the, the five events are best ball, super flex, spread picks, survivor, and DFS. And my goodness, I am just struggling at DFS this year. I I, I am having a really hard time. I suppose I should be setting my lineups before Sunday morning. I, it might be one of the thing, one of my reasons here, dear Derek. Yeah, and I think I mean I I went through that last year as well. It was the first year of the contest. I, I have this problem for DFS. I had at least for a long time I had this problem, but I think it still exists. My cash game approach was never quite right. Mm-hmm. I didn't think about cash games the right way. Cash games are mostly avoiding mistakes. Um, and I think one thing that's obviously helped me this year, I, I had that that smash week where Aaron Jones scored 100 touchdowns. I mean, yes. I had him in my lineup. I had, I had like a, a week where I went well over 200 points. And that's kind of carried my season a little bit. But it is uh, it, it is a different mentality playing cash versus GPP. And I think I was playing lineups that were kind of stuck in the middle. I wasn't playing lineups that were unique enough to win big field tournaments a few years ago. And I wasn't playing lineups that were smart enough to consistently win in cash games either. So I was a fish as, as Sammy and Davis would say. Uh, and I still am, am not necessarily you know, tearing it up and, and playing high volume or anything, but I, I've, I've kind of paid the price and learned a few things about DFS along the way. And the more I play cash games, the less I like them. I don't like playing games where the, the goal is to not make a mistake. Yeah. That's, that's not as fun as trying to build the, highly unlikely but still somehow plausible scenario that could take down a a gpp that has you know a hundred thousand lineups in it unfortunately for us with with you know 12 people or 15 people you know with the number of people we have it's 12 people that's right i had it right the first time um i'm i'm i think i'm thinking i should be having more of a cash game approach than than what i do and instead and for instance i took the wrong approach and made a huge mistake i made i made a tremendous mistake by starting nick Foles last week and of course had my lowest score yeah and i i mean i i don't know there's there's gonna be plays like that where the cash game mentality still leads you to the, to the wrong path so you, you could have landed i played andy dalton last week in pentathlon i wasn't that worked one. out somebody else did it well he he wasn't bad he, he for the price he was kind of just okay 13 DraftKings points but yeah i'm looking back through my lineup like i trusted aaron jones more than i should but again i wasn't alone he, he had 33 usage for four teams out of the 12 played aaron jones in that spot against the giants um yeah, i, I including this guy now. right here <laughs> i were in the same boat there i mean i i try to look back at what went wrong with my lineups that's the other part i think i think of becoming a better dfs player whether it's cash or gpp what did you do wrong? And in, in that contest, if you played a cash game, what did the teams that beat you do? Did you right. miss something? Did you did you have a projection that was wrong? Where in your process did you go wrong? I think taking that time on, on Monday to go back through and figure it out is actually one of the ways to become a much better player. Yeah, I, I should probably do that more often. <laughs> Might work out. Uh so you're doing very well in uh, DFS, though. And you did well in uh, the Tower Wars DFS contest this year, too, So for baseball. So you, know, you seem like you've kind of fallen on a, a good little uh, routine here. Yeah, I'm not sure 
again, I can't point to one specific thing that is different. Um, and I think I'm still at a point where I'm, I'm questioning how much of it is just babbing my way to uh, <laughs> a Tower Wars daily title. You know, I, I don't want to go in with my approach and think I've got it all figured out. I'm going to play 10 times the volume, but I should probably play more in, in 2020 and, and kind of see where it goes from there. Uh, but I, I think again, it, it's, it is more of a problem solving thing than anything else. So, you know, trying to figure out what the pool is going to do in a tournament, finding ways to gain some leverage in cash games, just avoiding silly mistakes. And, uh, I, I like GPPs more than cash games, but I, I think it's, it's good to learn how to play both and to try and be a, a steady cash game player to, to fund your inevitable GPP losses. Yeah. Allow, yeah. Allow for some, and give you some more latitude with your game selection. That's for sure. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, the other aspects of this league. You're, you know, you're struggling with, uh, staff picks, uh, spread picks and your, and then survivor didn't go so great for you. It was a, you know, survivor is weird. It was easy, easy, easy. Then really hard all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's weird. I mean, like it, it, like in any survivor pool, I, I'm surprised that in this group, so many of us got bounced by the same pattern. I mean, yeah. there were, I think four of us that lost on the Rams in week four and the chiefs in week five. And that really just based on the way standings points are split up that locked in a bunch of entries, which is three and a half standings points. The thing we changed for this year is if you finish first, second or third in a category, you don't get 12, 11 or 10. You actually get a bonus point right. added on. You get 13, you get 15, 13 and 11. That's made it a lot more competitive late into the season, because if you're hanging near the top of the standings in one event and a team in the overall is the one you're trying to chase down, you pass them. That's a bigger swing. It's a more impactful swing. So uh, I do like that wrinkle. That was a Russ Prentice math idea that has paid off uh, really nicely to keep things really competitive. But uh, the Chiefs losing in week five at home to the Colts still bothers me because even if I had just lasted a few more weeks, picked up another two or three points, if I was just middle of the pack in Survivor, I'd be sitting there with a much better chance of maybe making a run at first or second. I think right now the most realistic outcome, if I can close the gap in a couple events, is to possibly you know take third overall and, and get a, a nice little payback from that. But I, I don't think I can close down the gap to, you know, where Sammy and Davis are and, and where, where Doria is at the top of the board. Same. And I, I'm, I'm a, fr- a couple fractions of a point behind you. And so I'm in the same boat. I'm kicking myself on survivor though, because I'm in another survivor pool, double elimination. And, you know, regular listeners might already know about this. Listeners of the XM show definitely know about this. Cause I talk about it every week, but, um, I pivoted the morning that Stafford was ruled out against the, the lions against the bears. I switched from the Saints over to the Bears as a pot odds play in a different pool, a double elimination pool where I, and it was amazing. 50 people got knocked out. I was, you know, I was like, I was the only one left that had no misses and there were only eight people left. It went from like 55 to eight, you know, and I was like, it was a beautiful thing. I didn't do that here in this one. I kind of, I forgot to do it in, in this one. So I was one of five people that got knocked out all at the same time. So we tied for first. Uh, I could have had 15 oh. points instead of 11.2. Yeah. I mean, that, that changes blow. everything for you because yeah, it puts you right there ahead of me and, and within I think a point and a half or so of, of Vlad and Russ in the third place spot with, with plenty of paths to make up that ground in the final three weeks. Yeah. It, it's, it's really funny though. Like you think you're brilliant in one way, but then, Oh yeah, I forgot to do it on a different platform. And Oh, okay. Well, so it goes, uh, best ball is interesting. Um, I, you know, it, 
I we we had a little false start, so we have a fake one and a real one. Uh, the fortunately, the real one's doing better than the fake one. The fake one, I had no quarterbacks most of the season, Big Ben and Nick Foles, and somehow I only ended up with two quarterbacks. So that's just it's just money. Uh, I lost I lost money on that one, but at least I didn't lose standing points on that. But you know, it's so so funny. Last week. My, you know, because it's best ball, my quarterback was Ben, not Foles, because Foles had negative points. Oh, yeah. I, the thing about best ball that I think is is a little bit frustrating for me is just that the rosters actually seem like they're about two to four players too small, believe it or not. Like you just lose so many players to IR that you don't want to be in a position where you're you're drawing dead. So I think there are some players that maybe they're not high volume guys, or they're not even high upside guys, but you almost have to take a few safe players in the late rounds that are less likely to get hurt because they're on the field less, but you know, you're going to get something if the guys that you drafted ahead of them go down, you know, like pass catching running backs to me are actually kind of important in best ball. And I try to avoid those guys in the late rounds and in the end game of the auctions that I I play out because I think on the wire, that's replacement level player. If they can't have more of a role than just catching passes, I don't necessarily want those players in most leagues, but in best ball, I actually do want those players because you get to this part of the season and a guy like you know, Duke Johnson still at least gets on the field and gives you something. Whereas if you load it up and hope to kind of catch lightning in a bottle, you either have a player that's not playing at all, or you have a guy maybe that got hurt. that's taken a zero. Yeah. You don't have to have that decision of when to start him. I mean, that, they, right, that's yeah. the, that's the best thing. James White, Austin Eckler. I mean, they're, they're you know, Eckler has got more of a floor than the other guys, but they're feast or famine. It's absolutely true, you know, and yeah, and then in a best ball, that it, it is a lot handier. Uh, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, I think that's a great point. I think next year my best ball strategy will be, and maybe I'm overly influenced by the carnage of this year, but I'm almost certainly going to have three QBs. Yeah, I, I'm actually surprised that more of the best ball experts out there, and I'm, I'm certainly not one of them, aren't just banging the table saying that this is a a thing you absolutely have to do. Like I. I have found that the best ball teams I've built with three quarterbacks are just generally better quarterbacks get hurt more than we realize too. Yep. Like even if you pile up a bunch of just old pocket passers that don't expose themselves to possible injuries. I mean, looking at you, Matthew Stafford, like you're going to lose a quarterback or like maybe to a straight up benching. I mean, Eli Manning a year ago mm-hmm. got benched like those kinds of guys you think are super safe when you only take two. They're just not as safe as you think. Yeah, uh, Stafford's Stafford's injury crushed me though. Uh, I have him in the Sin City auction, the you know, the Vegas league that Brad Evans ran, and you know he was and it's a QB flex. So obviously, you know, finding a second and maybe even a third QB are super important there too. You know, losing him like that and you'd have to scramble to replace him because he was outperforming expectations. I was I had a bargain on him, and plus I thought I had floor, and now I have nothing. Uh, so that's frustrating. But yeah, I. I'm more inclined to go three QBs and three tight ends, although I have some real dog tight end teams too. But that that's the funny thing. I think a lot of that it ha- also relies on how early do you take your first of the QBs? How early do you take your first tight end? If you wait, you probably need to take three. If you don't wait, you probably can get away with two. Yeah, and then I think you also have to decide, okay, so maybe you took Mahomes early and you know, you're going to probably get his score in your lineup let's say maybe 11, 12 weeks out of, out of 16. Right. Do you also use your last pick to you know lock in Matt Moore just in case you get the Mahomes injury? Because if Mahomes goes down 
or when Mahomes is on bye week and your other quarterback is is injured, you take a zero at quarterback. That's yeah. well, bad. Like you want to reduce the chances of that happening. Well, you got to remember this summer, Moore wasn't even the backup. Yeah, that's true. That's the other. I mean, especially when you do best balls in the spring and stuff too. Even figuring out who a backup's going to be is a bit of a guessing game. It's kind of an insane f- process. I mean, then you get to lock in your bargains. You get your Lamar Jackson in the 14th round sort of thing. And instead of dealing with the helium um, and he, there was helium on Lamar Jackson. It wasn't like this is completely out of the blue. I mean, there were enough people talking him up in the preseason that he went from 13th round to like ninth round or 10th round. I mean, and I know in our auction, he was a little bit of, uh, he was contested a little bit. Yeah, I, I think by by that point, that was probably what the first week of September or the last week of August. I think there were more people getting on board. Uh, but, yeah, I, I feel like I, I have to give a shout out to you know, Mario Puig and, and Emery Hunt as uh, two people that I, yep. I saw and heard on Lamar Jackson you know, a year ago just saying, hey, look, he can he can do it. He can play quarterback. He can be good. Uh, he's not just a, a running back playing quarterback. He's he's going to be fine. I mean, they have been right in ways where now we're looking at Lamar Jackson and discussing like, okay, how, how early are people actually going to take him? Like people may have a case for him as uh, a late first rounder in a lot of formats next year. Absolutely. Mario was super strident in his position. Jerry, Jerry Donabedian too. uh, I I recall, and they influenced me. I have a lot of Lamar this year, not in this league, but uh, I have them in others. And it's a beautiful thing when you have that going on for you there. Uh, quick other note uh, before we move on and talk a little bit of Packer talk here for sports and betting fans in New Jersey, the New Jersey area. This is the moment you've been waiting for. Sports betting is available today on Yahoo Sports and the Yahoo Sports app powered by BetMGM. Yahoo Sports book powered by BetMGM allows fans nationwide to view betting odds across a variety of sports and users of legal age to bet in the state of New Jersey can click through the odds to place bets on BetMGM. New users 21 or older in New Jersey can make their first $10 deposit and receive $100 in free bets. Go to betmgm.com slash yahoo to get started and for full offer terms and conditions. Also, Yahoo Daily Fantasy continues to launch new fantasy contests each day. Visit yahoo.com slash daily fantasy to enter an NFL, NBA, or NHL contest today. Uh, actually, before we talk Packers, we'll talk one other thing, you know, related to that read, you know, spread picks. You know, that, that's something that's increasingly becoming a part of our industry is just gaming. And this ties in, you know, the spread picks aspect that ties into what we do with the pentathlon. Yeah, I'm wondering if there's something kind of like my my DFS approach a year or two ago. That's just a little bit off with how I'm picking games against the spread. Uh, it, it's close enough where if I in the pentathlon, if I do well, these next three weeks, there's probably about four to five standings points I could make up because things are pretty clustered. PNL is killing it. Yeah. has got like 105 games, right. Or something so far, if not more 110. Yeah. He's got a, a 15 game lead on me with three weeks to play, but you know, I'm, I'm third to last with 95. And I think four, four wins separate me from fifth place. That's a big, big jump in the standings. So, I think I could make up that ground, but man, it's, it's been, it's been a rough year for me in that front. Even, even I'm sitting at 95 and 95 and it's a bad year by comparison to the field in this league. Yeah, 500 isn't bad. You're losing money because of the vig if you were betting, but it's not bad. I'm 
only a couple of picks ahead of you. I'm only four picks ahead of you, really, at 99-91. Yeah, peeing at 110-80. Yeah, the court, and he's winning staff picks by that margin, too. And I thought I was going to do so well last week, too. I started off like 7-4, and four, and then the late games got me, and then the Minnesota, the Monday night game didn't work out. It's just like, ah, come on. <laughs> and I'm also, I'm also rooting for other people to collapse. I, I need uh, Sammy and Davis to just forget everything they know about picking games against the spread for the next three weeks. Right. That would be, that'd be things working out really well for me. They're doing, doing a great job across the board. They're third and spread picks right now. So one Oh three and 87 is a, is a nice spot to be for them. And I don't know. Can I make up uh, a difference of eight in the next three weeks? I think it's possible, but it just, it takes them going pretty cold and me getting very hot to make up that much ground. It's like analyzing the baseball wild card race in July. Yeah. You're only four games out, but you got eight people. You know, and it's like you have to have a lot of things go your way and uh, and and you don't have the influence of playing them head to head either. It's just you versus the machine. So uh, it's a little bit tougher. I mean, the, the, this this crazy tie, this three way tie for at ninety nine uh, and then another and one more at one at ninety eight. What one. And then, of course, Russ and uh, Vlad at ninety six right in front of you. I mean, that one that's they're right in front of you there and they're right in front of you in the overall standing. So that's like that's a point right there. That's a big one. Yeah, uh, just jockeying with them, and and they did really well. I think it spread picks a year ago, so I'm a little surprised to see them within one game of me. It wouldn't surprise me if they got really hot for these last three weeks. Yeah, that's right. You know, the funny thing is, only two people in this whole group are under 500 with picks. So that's on a, on a coin flipping exercise like that. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, no, I mean, it just it speaks to the the quality of, of the the people in the league. And I, I was I, when I put it together, I, I wanted to play against people I enjoy playing against, but I also wanted to play against people that are really good yeah. <laughs> at all these different events. And uh, I feel like I've I've been successful in that regard. You know, I feel like that's that's been something that's definitely uh, played out the way I'd hoped. Yeah, this is this is a fun exercise. I'm really glad I'm in it this year. Really wish I would have done it before. Uh, let's talk Packers. Uh, they host, uh, you know, you, you are our, uh, our Packers source, and there's a few Rotowire people that are and all that, but you've been to a few games this year. You uh, get to uh, get a close observation on them. Uh, this week, uh, home, uh, they expected to comfortably win. Uh, they should, should comfortably win, but uh, we'll see. They get the home game against the Redskins, biggest favorite on the board, along with Minnesota hosting Detroit. What do you expect out of this game? You know, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of hesitant to lay the 13 in spread picks, not because I don't think they'll they'll win, but I just feel like they're the kind of team that kind of takes these games and makes them closer than they should be. If you watch the Packers Giants game on Sunday, I don't know. I don't. It, it wasn't as convincing as the final score would would lead you to believe. It was one yeah. of those games where the Packers didn't execute all that well and still got a a really good result in part because the giants were just turning it over like crazy. I mean, that was, that was a huge part of it. Uh, but this is a Packer team that I've been wrong about at almost every turn against <laughs> the spread this season. Like I, I can't quite figure it out. Uh, there are things that they do that still frustrate me. It's nowhere near the level I was at, you know, when Mike McCarthy was running things over the last three years, I would say of, of his tenure. But the, the thing that stands out to me with this roster is that the draft class of receivers from 2018 has not worked out at all. And, and Marquez Valdez Scantling's role oh. has really fallen off the last few weeks. So he's clearly behind both Geronimo Allison and Alan Lazard now in the pecking order for snaps. He gets on the field about as much as Jake Kumaro. 
So that's a right. pretty big surprise. The other thing that's really been driving me crazy uh, is the amount of usage that they've been giving to Jamal Williams. I, I, I like Jamal Williams as a complimentary back. I like him as a physical change of pace sort of guy that does complement Aaron Jones really well. But when you see snap distributions and touch distributions that are 60, 40 or even closer to 50, 50 some weeks. Yeah. That still feels wrong because as you watch both players, it's just so clear that Aaron Jones is the more explosive guy. I think there are times when, when Jones also disappears from the passing game, which frustrates me as well. So I'm, I'm glad things have changed under Matt LaFleur, but they haven't changed as much as I would have hoped. Uh, especially with Aaron Jones's usage in the passing game on a week to week basis. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and you know, uh, you know, I, I, I think there's a case to be made for preserving Jones to make sure he makes it through the season. You're not worried if you're worried if he can't handle physically withstand the, uh, bell cow uh, carries and snaps because he's a slighter guy perhaps. But yeah, I, I think they, they've taken a little too far. They need to get him, especially in the passing game. I mean, he, he showed the Sunday night game against the chiefs where he's so dynamic, like, Get more of that. I think that's – and you know, especially come playoff time, they're going to need that. I mean, they, they're lacking playmakers with wide receivers. You need – he's – I mean, he is their playmaker, more so even than Devontae Adams in a way. I mean, I, I know there's some pushback against Liss and what Liss says about uh, Adams' lack of big playmaking skills because he's not a guy that breaks away. He gets caught from behind. But Jones is that special athlete. He, he creates mismatches. Yeah, he absolutely does. I think with Devontae Adams, it's it's easy to wonder if the turf toe injury that he had earlier in the season is still slowing him down mm-hmm. a little bit. Uh, but the offense, in, in in a weird way, like it seemed like they were more effective using the secondary pass catching options when they didn't have Adams. That's not me saying they were a better team without him. It's that the coaching staff was more creative without him. And yeah. that's that's a bit of a puzzle, but the usage for Devonte Adams continues to be excellent. I mean, we're talking about a guy that's had at least 10 targets in each of his last five games, uh, 11, 10, 12, and 10. Now going back to his return from the injury against the chargers. This is a nice spot this week for him against Washington, kind of a tough matchup in week 15, of course, against the bears. Uh, they held him to four catches and in, in 36 yards. That was pre-injury back in week one. And then he gets Minnesota in week 16. So I, I think if you survived the Devonte Adams injury, you're going to be totally fine. But where I'm really kind of frustrated and concerned right now is with the usage of Aaron Jones. Maybe that's because I've got him a few places too. And I just thought we were going to get four and a half, five yards of carry for 20 touches a game. And it's been a bit less than that so far. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting on the defensive side. They've been, aside from Kevin King issues, they've been effective against the pass, uh, more exploited against the run more often than not. Uh, Redskins actually coming off their best running game of the season. Geis looked good. Peterson looked good. I think that was a lot having to do with the opponent uh, and maybe not necessarily a harbinger of things to come. What do you think happens there? Yeah, the Redskins played him tough last season in D.C. too, kind of unexpectedly. So that's I think that's maybe where some of that trepidation comes in with, with laying all those points uh, with the Packers this week. The defense, I, I think it's shown signs of growth this mm-hmm. year with Mike Patton at the helm. Like I, I think there is there, there are reasons to believe that this defense is better suited to support a run into the playoffs now than it has been in years past. The, the pass rush is a lot better. 
Uh, Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith have been excellent at getting pressure. I think as long as they remain healthy, that's going to help a lot. It can mask some of the flaws in the secondary. Jair Alexander is a legitimately good shutdown yeah. corner. And the Adrian great. Amos addition stabilized the safety spot. Darnell Savage in flashes, you know, looks like he's figuring some things out. He's still vulnerable, kind of like King to some occasional lapses. But this is a better Packer defense than I think many of us have been accustomed to probably over the last five years or so now. So I don't know. Like, I, there's, there's this sort of like love hate relationship that people seem to have with this team where it's like when things are going well, they're awesome. They're going to go win the Super Bowl, And when they get blown out, like they did in San Francisco two weeks ago, they're the worst team ever. And they don't deserve to go to the playoffs. Like there's just, there's no middle ground. I think they're just a, a, a good team and they're good enough to make a run, but they're going to have to eliminate those mistakes, probably more on the, def- the defensive side of the ball, because they don't make a lot of mistakes on offense. They're really their own worst enemy with their play calling more than with turnovers to this point. Yeah, that's right. Uh, big matchup in a week against the Vikings in Minnesota. Uh, they won the, the initial one. So uh, you know, we'll see uh, it, it, what happens there. They've got their own injury issues. We alluded to it earlier with Dalvin cook. Uh, that's, you know, something that, you know, I don't know if cook's going to play this week. You know, it takes you to the fancy playoffs and then you don't know if you can use him the first round of the playoffs. Oh, it's so unfortunate too. I feel, I feel bad for, for Dalvin cook because he's been dealing with injuries going back to his time in college as well. He's had such a huge year. He's been so important to fantasy players. Uh, I hope for his sake that he's just, able to finish it out and, and mm-hmm. carry people to titles, you know, where that's going to happen. I think the key for the Minnesota offense, uh, I mean, aside from cook's health, it has been Adam Thielen all along, you know, for, for this offense to be as effective as it can be Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs and Delvin cook being on the field together, make them really scary. It, it actually makes Kirk cousins good enough to play every single week in fantasy. I think when they're all out there, I think when only two of the three are out there, things can start to break down a little bit and you got to be more careful with the matchups, but the Vikings definitely scare me. I, I think they are, they're good enough uh, obviously to win that game at home, but they're also good enough to make a run in the playoffs. If they have that trio of offensive weapons, healthy. Yeah, that's right. And you know, Kirk cousins has been quietly really good this year. Uh, after a terrible start to the season, all of a sudden you look up and it's 23 to four and he's averaging over eight yards per attempt. And you're like, Oh, he's been good. Yeah, I mean, I think the the interception total being that low definitely stands out, and the efficiency being at a level that we really haven't seen from Kirk Cousins ever before. Like right. that says a lot. I mean, how flawed was this offense a year ago? Like when you look back at it, seven point one YPA with that group around him. Yeah, year one in a new in a new system certainly you know may have been part of that, but. I think offensive line is a big part of it, too. I think this is one of the the recurring lessons of 2019. Offensive lines matter. Yeah, I I agree. I still think it's an area where we probably don't spend as much time breaking things down as we should. Uh, This week, though, week 14, the matchup against the Lions is a great one. Uh, The Chargers are a weird team. They get the Chargers coming up in week 15 and the Packers to close out the fantasy playoffs. Again, I'm, I'm not overwhelmingly concerned about the Packers defense, just shutting a good offense down completely. I just think they can hold their own in those matchups, which they couldn't do before. But what do you make of the chargers? Like, they're on the list of <laughs> short list of teams that I am frequently wrong about. Like if there's a team that I'm more wrong about than the Packers against the spread, it's gotta be the chargers. It's I, I keep going back to my off season uh, theory that they had at some point in time, they built upon Indian burial ground and are forever cursed. 
they, they, they find new and entertaining ways to lose. The one against the Broncos last week, I mean, I kind of called it as it was going on, that which made it even more enjoyable. Had, I had the, had the Broncos uh, put the number there, and, yeah, I, I enjoyed that one quite a bit. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Uh, just seeing its performance art at this point in time. I mean, there's some weeks, though, where their pass rush looks amazing. Yeah. Defense is the so Packer scary. Game. That yeah, Packer yeah. game was crazy. That was the crazy outlier. They looked like a, a, an awesome team that week. It, it's so strange. And there were some some theories bouncing around. I think even Aaron Rodgers talked about it. They they got to California a day early. And I think a lot of players brought family along for mm-hmm. vacations. And the, the, the mindset for the Packers may have been a bit off, but your mindset can be off. If you, if you can't slow down a pass rush, it's more than your mindset. Like you're just getting right. physically worked by uh, edge rushers that are just really good. And I think the chargers have that talent. You look at the offense. I mean, Mike Williams has had a, a disappointing year. Hunter Henry has come back from his injury. He's played pretty well. Melvin Gordon's looking more like Melvin Gordon. I start, I'm starting to wonder if Philip rivers is just getting to that point where it's ending for him. You know, like I, I watch him go out there and, shot put the ball around every week and he just doesn't he doesn't look quite right maybe offensive line play is part of it he's under a lot of pressure as well is this the end though for philip rivers it's possible i mean I, we heard all the the terrell taylor talk but i mean the real concern is that they find somebody in the draft uh, it's supposed to be a pretty good quarterback draft next year I mean, I think it's kind of the end of the line for rivers i think it's him and eli have kind of tracked together their whole career uh, and they're they're both kind of at the end of the line, and who knows what happens with Roethlisberger also in that draft class? You know, it could all be done after this year. Yeah, it'd be kind of interesting if they all were out after 2019, all went into the Hall of Fame together. I mean, I think there's a chance all three of those guys end up in Canton. Yeah, we argued about this the other day too that whether Rivers deserves to be a Hall of Famer. I mean, he's the author of a lot of those epic collapses. You know, he wasn't just a bystander. He was the creator of many of those collapses. He also, though, I, I, I guess the, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily making this argument because I'm, I'm the guy that thinks he belongs there. But I think one interesting argument is that he overlapped, aside from Roethlisberger, you know, the end of Peyton Manning's peak. Yeah. And the Patriots like his his his, his timing for his career in that conference, especially was not great. I mean, you put Philip Rivers on an NFC team throughout his career. Does he win a Super Bowl? Like, I know he still has to face those teams eventually once he gets there, but getting bounced early in the playoffs, I think was somewhat the function of having loaded Colts teams with Peyton Manning. And then of course the Patriots always sitting there or even having the Steelers possibly there too. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, that's actually a good point. Um, so yeah, maybe, uh, yeah, it's tough. And the stats are going to hold up, although efficiency-wise, maybe not so much. Just you'll, you'll get there on volume. But, uh, man, yeah, tough team. Tough team to evaluate. We'll see, uh, you know, what they do in this offseason. Chances are playoffs are out of the picture after that gut punch. Losing two games to Denver, it just really hurts. Uh, and these division games, that happens all the time. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, that's one of the hardest things about picking games. These teams that, that know each other really well. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Denver is one of those teams that I felt like they were dealing with a lot of bad luck early in the season too. I think it was the early season game against the bears. That was completely bananas. The finish in that one was just, it was, it's one of those things where if you're a Broncos fan, you probably knew around then you're like, well, 
that was the kind of game we had to win in order to be a wild card team this year. And mm-hmm. we just lost. And it was early enough in the year where it was, it was really a gut punch. Um, you know, they looked good on the road in green Bay the week after that loss to the bears, they dropped that game too. the yeah. Jags beat them 26, 24 in Denver the week after they lost to the Packers. Like they just had this run to begin the season where they had a couple of bad beats and they never quite, never quite bounced back from that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, every game matters and it just shows that it's just like baseball too. You know, it, it, the end of the season gets hyped up and pumped up, but you screw up early, take that misstep early. It may, he may have already canceled yourself out. Yeah. Oh, believe me. I, I thought a lot about that uh, as a Brewers fan this season, there was oh, yeah. a, a series in San Diego in the first half. They got swept and in the game, they got swept because money Grandal was playing first base, uh, a pop-up dropped in the infield. Padres rallied, won that game. Like those, those things stuck with me this year, especially in, in when the Brewers lost in the wild card game, especially uh, the memories kind of came flooding back. So yeah, it, it's, Denver is one of those teams like they're kind of like the opposite of a Carolina where I don't see a lot of quit in that team. I think they they have enough talent defensively where they can be a pain from a fantasy perspective and they can just hang around in games even as they they break in Drew Locke as their quarterback. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And Fangio has had to do some, you know, he, he's had to do some learning on the job about like clock management and, you know, end game considerations and all that. They lost, you know, like you mentioned, those close ones they lost early on. The, the Bears game in particular, I mean, that was a howler how they lost that one. And they got screwed twice. Maybe not screwed, but they got the the short end of the stick on a couple roughing the passing call, passer calls, arguably screwed at least once one of those two times. And, yeah, that 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 hey, unfortunately, that is your record. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's one of those things where if they if they fire Vic Fangio right away, I kind of feel like he got a bad shake in in his Agreed. Only year running that team. Agreed, especially when you're dealing with the quarterback chaos that he's had to deal with. And let's face it, John Elway's track record of the quarterbacks is so darn bad too. Uh, we could go on about that forever, but the man won't let us. So uh, we're going to go ahead and cut it out at this point. Uh, Derek, thanks for jumping on with us. What do you got going on at the Athletic this week? Got a couple new baseball pods up. Uh, Rates and Barrels is a show that I host with Eno Saris. Yeah, that good. one just posted up. Uh, thank you. That just posted up on Tuesday morning. And uh, we just did one today with uh, Ian Kahn, who you hear on the Rotowire pods and does the Rotowire Dynasty rankings. Uh, and Nando DeFino, it's called Under the Radar. Uh, Under the Radar is, is fun because we're always talking about the guys that are just not quite getting the opportunities we want. It's like the, the show where we talk about all the players that we wish would play more. Yeah. Those are the kinds of guys that get claimed on waivers and traded and non-tendered this time of year. Uh, so if you're into, you know, Josh Van Meter and Jarrell Cotton and Jose De Leon, uh, under the radar is probably a show you'd enjoy. And uh, even if you're not into those players, it might be a fun listen anyway. Uh, we got a, an episode coming up of the ranking show on Friday with myself and Michael Beller. It's a football show we do nice. every week, kind of talking about some of the tough calls for championship week this week. So lots of stuff there and hopefully a Brewers piece coming up the next week or so as well. If they make a, a move here around the winter meetings, I like you and Beller back together. That works out. I like that. Uh, Beller's a good guy, man. I, I love working with him. Yeah, absolutely. All right. That's going to conclude uh, the Wednesday Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by Yahoo Fantasy Sports. Thanks to Derek for joining us. Thanks to you for listening. We'll be back at you again tomorrow. Take care. Whether you're a world class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well being and proper recovery for top notch performance. 
That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.